Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Jaguars podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your co-host Phil Smith, aka Phil the Filipino, and as always I am joined by my co-host. He is the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire, James Johnson. Jay, how are you doing here this weekend and excited to cover the rest of the Jaguars draft picks today? Well, at least rounds two and three that is. Yeah, man, as always, I'm doing good. Can't complain, man. Been putting in lots of work on the site. So, of course, you know, I'm a little tired from that, but, um, you know, it's doing what I love. So then again, I'm not tired. So, yeah, man, I can't wait to cover these uh, day two picks, uh, which, you know, should definitely benefit the Jags in the end, um, at least by the end of their careers. And uh, yeah, man, can't wait to get going. Right, we're going to be covering rounds two and three for you here today after a NFL draft that, of course, was like none other <laughs> that we've ever had. So a couple of really, really exciting picks. I think we, uh, I think I can speak for Jay when I say we were pretty enthusiastic about the direction they went. So we will get to that here in just a moment. Now, before we begin, of course, I want to thank everybody who has gone out of their way to go to Apple Podcasts and left us a five-star review as well as comments. Uh, That's one of the best ways to support the show. So thank you guys so much. Make sure you're subscribing as well, of course, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also always find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And as far as on Twitter, I am at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And you can find Jay at SportsGrind underscore Dawn. If you are interested in advertising the show, please let us know. Uh, contact Believe at Believe.com. So before we get into the draft picks here, Jay, there's a couple of Jaguar, well, non-NFL draft related Jaguar news that we wanted to discuss and uh, that may actually impact a previous draft pick from a few years ago. The Jaguars went out and signed running back Chris Thompson. Uh, From the sounds of the Jaguar Twitterverse, Jay, it seems like people are pretty high on this signing. I'm interested to see what what you think, of course, coming from the Washington Redskins. uh, Jeremy Fowler reported this. um, Good passing, uh, pass-catching option out of the backfield for Gardner Minshew. So, Jay, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about this a little bit off the air. What do you think about the signing and bringing in of Chris Thompson? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it, man. And it's, this was one that you could kind of see happening because of the Jay Gruden connection. And uh, basically, you know, we talked about this in the last podcast. The Jaguars didn't really acquire any help at running back like that. They got a, um, they got a few undrafted guys, of course, but. Uh, you know, to depend on one of those guys to make the back end of your roster, you know, you're asking of a lot. Although um, the Robinson kid uh, is is pretty talented from, uh, I think it's Illinois State. If I'm not mistaken, he's pretty talented. was a draftable prospect. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, yeah, you know, Thompson brings in a veteran presence. He's a guy that Jay Gruden really like. I don't know if you've seen the video yet, but when Jay Gruden was actually fired, from the Redskins last year, Thompson was one of the guys they asked about it in the locker room. And like, he was visibly like upset. He like cried during the interview about it. Uh, because if I can recall from what I can relate, recollect, he was saying that, um, not only did Jay Gruden, Oh, well actually Jay Gruden wasn't there when he was drafted. He came a year afterwards, but Jay Gruden basically kind of gave him a chance to basically be promoted from practice squad to the main roster from how I gathered it. And a guy that had a lot of faith in him, so to speak as a fifth round pick. And I think that was in 2013 that he was drafted out of the draft. So he was there like a year before Gruden. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, 
it's not surprising because, you know, Gruden probably wants some of his guys in there. We've seen it with Tyler Eifert. We've seen it with, uh, you know, their fascination or or their reported interest in Andy Dalton. So from that perspective, it's not surprising that they need basically a guy, a veteran proven guy uh, to, to maybe make the roster as that fourth guy or third guy, however many running backs they want to take. And he offers a lot as a pass catcher, too. That's the key there, too, as well. So, uh, you know, it's looking like it'll be Leonard Fournette, Ryquel Armstead, uh, and Thompson, and and maybe one other guy. But he does offer that veteran savvy that they don't have and will be the most experienced guy in that uh, running back's room. Yeah, and I relate to this as far as, you know, Jaguar Twitter. I'm definitely very excited about this. Like you said, he is a multifaceted guy you can use him in a lot of different areas and I think it's really just going to make hopefully Leonard Fournette better which is a nice transition into speaking on Leonard Fournette the Jaguars have declined picking up his fifth year option Jay we've talked about Leonard Fournette quite a bit here in the past we even up until the draft were thinking that they were probably going to go ahead and try and locate his replacement as we don't see him really being part of the team long term so, Jay, when this news came out, uh, I, I can't imagine you were really too surprised. But do you think they're really going to go into this year with with him trying to actually prove that he deserves to stick around? Or have they pretty much indicated that they've made up their mind on Leonard as far as his future with the team? Yeah, in the last podcast, I said basically that I thought, you know, it, with a good year, he may could stick around. But the more and more I think about it, I don't I think it's um you know, it's pretty much written in stone and that they will move on afterwards. That's even if he's on a roster, they may still can trade him. I'm doubtful on that. I think he does have to play with the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, this year. So, uh, yeah, with that being the case, I think even if he has like this really, really good season, I, I can't see the Jaguars necessarily. I mean, they could franchise him, but I don't see them doing it because I just think they just want to uh, just mutually part ways and just, you know, rid themselves I don't want to say of a mistake but just uh rid themselves of a a draft pick that could have been better used basically uh during that draft because we all know like the stigma of taking running backs that early anyway and I kind of agree with it for the most part and you know it feels like that was more so Tom Coughlin's doing something we've also spoke on so from that perspective as well I could see Dave Caldwell wanting to move on too and, and seeing him more so as a guy as Tom Coughlin's guy than his guy so I mean we all seen the the issues he's had with the front office uh you know suspensions fines uh you name it um being sidelined all of that and I think in the end all of that is what will ultimately uh, be the reason why Leonard Fournette and the Jacksonville Jaguars decided to just part ways uh, at the end of the 2020 season. Yeah, like you said, Jay, I, I definitely agree with you when you say I think the writing is on the wall for for Leonard. And I think we we mentioned this last week as well. You know, he seems like a guy that gets along pretty well with the fan base. The fan base is genuinely liked, but also at the same time, you and I have said as far as his season last year, you know, people talk about productively what a good year it was but I I mean really was it I mean a thousand yards isn't really what it used to be yes it's a great feat and not to say that it's easy to do but I mean Denver had been altering out running backs every single year and having a thousand yard rushers you know so it really doesn't make a lot of sense to pay a guy what maybe he feels like he would believe you know he deserves to be paid to a guy who's not who hasn't really lived up to just guys in his class and do you think maybe this is he's also kind of a a victim of where he was taken. And I don't want to say victim, maybe that's a little bit too harsh, but you know, he is, he, uh, you know, you guys look at guys like Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin cook 
were also taken in this draft this draft and do you think he's just kind of you know like I I can't think of another word but like I said a victim of his own draft position where guys behind him that were taken behind him performed much better so yeah I don't think like necessarily like it's I'll say this it's hard to tell like if that really affected anything but when you look at the guys that were drafted in that class you know it it certainly can't help him you know you look at Dalvin Cook like you said Alvin Kamara I think was in that class and Kareem Hunt albeit you know he's had his issues out the field was in that class but you know you got a lot of money yeah yeah you look at all of these uh these running backs that were taken in that class you know you have to ask yourself, man, the Jaguars, if they were going to go run it back, they they certainly uh, probably went with the wrong one. And I hate to put it that way, but, you know, it was better. It was even better options at the position for them to go with if they wanted to go that direction so badly. But uh, that being said, like I said, I don't think um, he's coming back. I think it's written on the wall. I think that the Jacksonville Jaguars could probably find a running back in the draft for cheaper and, you know, for. Uh, less draft capital and what I mean by that not a first round pick maybe a second third fourth something like that next year I don't know what the class looks like next year but I I do think it's one of those positions that is easier to hit on in the draft than others right 100% agree with you there we'll see how it plays out for Leonard I definitely would like to see him you know have a good year this year and even if he's not part of the team's future maybe you know find him he be able to find some success elsewhere because you know what, like you said, outside of the mistakes that he's made, you know, he has been really good for the team. And, you know, things started off very, very well. And I do agree that the organization probably looks at him as a Tom Coughlin era casualty, which they seem to be trying to rid themselves of, you know, going forward. But we'll see what happens. But, you know, as I mentioned, you know, Leonard Fournette may not be part of the team's future, but the players we're going to talk about here next are going to be a part of their future, Jay, and that's their second and third round picks. So we're going to discuss our initial reactions and what we feel like the plans for these two guys are going to be for the team. We'll start with our second round pick. Now, we definitely thought that the Jaguars were going to address wide receiver in the draft, and they certainly did that actually a couple of times, which we will get to on our day three analysis here in the next episode. But the receiver that they went with, not necessarily the one we we thought they would go with, which ended up being Colorado wide receiver LaVisca Chenault. And, you know, he's not really a guy that I spent a lot of time looking into, Jay, because he wasn't necessarily on my radar for the team. Of course, we talked a lot about Justin Jefferson, Denzel Mims, guys like that, that would maybe be available either late in the first round or here on the second day. Uh, but they ended up going with, the, with Chenault, who who, uh, you know, didn't have the best outing at the Combine. There was actually reports saying that he actually ran his 40 time injured. Uh, he ran around somewhere around a 4-5, I believe he said, Jay. But, um, you know, he thinks that he's definitely a lot faster. I'll get to some of his comments here in just a moment. So, Jay, did you really get a lot of time as far as looking into Chenault going into the draft? And did you really see or value him as highly as it seems like Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone have? Yeah, I got to see him um, a lot early in the process. So like towards the end and the combine and like the actual draft itself, I had already done my work on him. So his his work was kind of in the front of what I, I started evaluating in, in terms of the draft. So like I, my memory on him isn't as vivid as it is on the guys that I studied beforehand. But I do remember like seeing about four tapes of his. Uh, because he was mock draft to us often, by the way. And Jordan Reed, who was on the podcast, he actually mentioned 
LaVisca Chenault as a guy, too, for the Jaguars as an option in round two or one or whatever the case may be. Uh, but, yeah, he was a guy that on, on film, you couldn't help but notice that the versatility. Basically, they used him in the backfield. They used him as a Wildcat quarterback. They used him in the slot. They used him kind of in a manner, not as a tight end, but in the manner of a tight end as well, which Jordan Reed actually spoke on as well. So, like, the versatility was there and, like, the strength, man. Like, I don't think I've ever seen him. And we actually got the little tweet from Demetrius I had to pull up. I think, like, it was only one time that he was brought down by one tackler in 2018 or something like that. Otherwise, he broke any one tackle situation that he was in or some along those lines. But... Yeah, he's a guy that was very powerful, probably the strongest receiver in the draft and probably the strongest receiver I've seen in, in some time. And uh, I know a lot of people want to compare it to Denar Robinson, but this is no, this is not the same type of guy uh, because Denar Robinson was a positionless guy, if you will. Chenault is actually Chenault is actually a receiver, although like he's not as polished of a receiver as some of the guys that went before him. And that's probably because like they used him some everywhere. He never really got to focus on his craft. So I think like this is just a situation of where the Jacksonville Jaguars really like LaVisca Chenault in terms of what they saw earlier in his tenure with the Buffaloes or, or Colorado, which was in 2018 and 2017. They probably like what they saw then because they spoke on it many, many times, Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell. And, uh, you know, he played injured throughout his career, but uh, I think they more so valued that 2018 film than the 2019 film. And they liked the grit and the toughness that he brought to playing through all of these injuries. And uh, he had three surgical procedures before he went to the combine. So, you know, they acknowledge that, you know, the injuries are there, but they think he's a tough guy. He's a guy that I definitely think that they feel that Keenan McCardell, when he gets his hands on, he can mold him into a, a complete receiver in terms of the flaws that he has. Yeah, and like you mentioned there, Jay, the uh, Dave Caldwell actually mentioned in his media availability after day two that they had been tracking Chenault for two years. So yeah, he had been on their radar for a couple of years now um, when Doug Marone was asked about uh, Chenault's versatility and ability to play from multiple spots on the offense. He said he talked to him. Obviously, we feel he has the size and the speed to play outside. After we had drafted him and I got on the phone with him, both uh, offensive coordinator Jay Gruden and I had a plan. We talked to him about how we're going to do it and how we're going to use him. I told him, I told him, look, we have some plans and you can put him in the backfield. He can play wildcat. You can put him as the F tight end. You can do a lot of things with him. You see it on his tape in 2018 and 2019. That's one of the things that we looked at. We went back there and I said, look, we can do all those things, but the whole key is going to be how well you grasp it, how well you pick it up. Because if you can, make no mistake about it, we want him, we want to be able to do those things. So, like you said, Jay, a multifaceted guy, and I'm really excited to see how they use him in this offense. Yeah, same, same. Um, you know, they they've always, and we were preaching this, stressing this message uh before the draft, is they always have needed since losing Allen Robinson, somebody to be that number two and do the dirty work while DJ Chart stretches the field and pops the top off of coverage so that's probably going to be like his primary job is to do the dirty work to catch the slants and break it four yards after the catch which is something he flourished in in, in terms of catching and you know breaking free afterwards you know they, they feel like he could be that guy for him so you know he's a perfect guy to pair with chart on that perspective of course you know we got to see what the health is looking like uh but 
yeah, like you said, with Marone, they probably will also use him in other ways. You know, they could put him in the slot. They could put him or, or use him in the manner of a tight end like Jordan Reed was saying they did uh, with the Buffaloes. And, and also they could put him in the backfield because we've seen him like flat out, like take snaps from the center or, or from the quarterback and like actually line up as a running back and literally like run through people. That, and that might have been one of the reasons why he kind of had a lot of injuries because this guy welcomes contact. And essentially what you're looking at with Chenault is a a running back that plays receiver, essentially. And a guy that, you know, is not as quality, quite as polished as a receiver yet. But I think, again, just going back to what I was saying before, they're going to really, really depend on Keenan McCardell's ability to get the best out of him as a receiver while also using him in other roles. Yeah, and he was asked about being able to work with head, with Coach uh, Keenan McCardell. He said he's very excited. It's always good to be under somebody who has a lot of experience. I'm just ready to get over there to learn and just get better every day. So it sounds like he's pretty excited to get in the receiver's room and not only learn from Keenan McCardell, but of course everybody else in there. Like you said, Jay, move, you know, put him on the outside, move D.D. Westbrook into the slot, which is something we've talked about here in the past. Um, he has actually s- described himself as a mix of Jarvis Landry, Larry Fitzgerald and Julio Jones. <laughs> it sounds like if you wanted to create a wide receiver in the lab, those are three three players that, you know, those are three pretty good ingredients that you like to use. He said on that, he said, I said Jarvis Landry because everyone knows he plays with that dog mindset and that dog mentality. And he says it and he makes it, it makes it known. He's not a big receiver at all. It's not about the size. It's about the attitude he plays with and how aggressive he plays. And I think I do the same thing. Larry Fitzgerald, he's just like a business person. When he gets on the field, you already know he's strictly about business and he's going to get the job done. Julio Jones, he's just a freak and he can do anything, do everything. We've seen him do everything. So that's just that can do everything type of athlete. And I think I can do the same thing. So, Jay, I mean, receivers are always some of the guys that, you know, of course, in the locker room think the most highly of themselves. That's not that's not a, um, you know, that's pretty well known. But what do you think about uh, as far as Chenault? Is there any comparison, even maybe from one of those three guys that he mentioned that, you know, player or that any comparison that you could give Chenault that could, uh, you know, really excite fans? Yeah, before I chime in on that, I want to say this, you know, that maybe Dave Caldwell saw some Julio Jones in him who, you know, Dave Caldwell was a part of the Falcons organization when they took Julio Jones. So, Maybe that's, you know, one of the things that he saw. And, um, you know, that, that's definitely an interesting mix that Chenault spoke on now. Uh, I think one comparison that I saw that I could kind of agree with, I could see that, is the one of Sammy Watkins. Um, I think he's a little bit more powerful than Sammy Watkins, so to speak. But I think that's a pretty close one. Um, I think Sammy Watkins was probably more, uh, well, not even more, but I think, like, it's a gap in between the route running ability that Sammy Watkins had and, and Chenault had. But again, you know, I think Keenan can help him out with that. And uh, yeah, that's one of the cons I kind of do have with Chenault is, um, you know, sometimes his routes, you could tell that, you know, he didn't really, I don't want to say he didn't focus on the route running aspect of it, but in college, you could tell like that they, they didn't really stress it as much as the pros will, because route running is an art in the pros, you know, it's all about footwork. It's all about how you can uh, fake out people for double moves, this, that, and the other. And those are some of the things that he's going to have to learn on the next level. And those are some of the things I think he can learn on the next level. But, yeah, I can see him in the mold of that Sammy Watkins type of a player. Forgot where I saw that comparison. But, yeah, I I think that's probably the one 
that I mostly agree with. And just to bring up that tweet that you were talking about from Demetrius here, Jay, this was a stat on, on him. In 2018, he was brought down by a solo tackle only 24 times on 109 touches. In 2019, he was brought down by a solo tackle 14 times on 70 touches. That is just absolutely ridiculous. Like, what a crazy stat. And, yeah, really, really powerful and and strong guy. Sammy Watkins definitely makes a lot of sense. So, again, really excited to see how he's used in this offense and how much he can learn and um, help Gardner Minshew or whoever that quarterback may be. That's a little bit of a tease uh, as far as the last topic we're going to talk about here, guys. So, Moving on to our third round pick, and that was defensive tackle Devon Hamilton out of the University of, well, I'm sorry, out of the Ohio State University. I apologize. Sorry about that, Buckeyes fans. So he's a guy that, another position of need that we, you know, discussed them even addressing in the first round, Jay. We were talking about like Derek Brown or Javon Kinlaw. So they end up addressing this as far as the interior line in the third round with this selection. I will admit it's not really a name that I was too familiar with going into the draft. Um, so what do you have, uh, on Devon Hamilton that should get fans excited? Yeah. So Hamilton was a guy I caught on to kind of late in the, um, draft process. I want to say about two months ago, uh, because he put together such a, a interesting combine in terms of his numbers for his size. And I was like, wait a minute, let me, let me go back and look at this dude. And, uh, yeah, he's a guy that while and you mentioned these two names, Derek Brown and Ken Law, he probably definitely doesn't offer the pass rush ability that Kinlaw does. Although, like he, you know, for a third round pick, this is a category that Hamilton is pretty solid at, but not on the level of Kinlaw is what I'm saying. And uh, Brown, you know, he kind of offers in terms of comparing him and Hamilton, you know, he kind of offers that ability against the run like Brown. Of course, Brown is just in a class of his own in that category. And, and Brown probably had more starts than um Hamilton because Hamilton was kind of like one of those late bloomer type of prospects uh but yeah he does offer some ability against the run and you know he's a guy like when I watched him on field like film the explosion especially stood out to me was the the lower body explosion now he's a little in the upper body like you know he he could do a little better with the upper body moves and, and whatnot but in terms of his lower body you could see it like he, he He's in the backfield frequently and out of his stance, you can see the explosion. And then like just the the simple fact of when he's running down these running backs, you can see the explosion there as well. There's been plenty of times where I've seen him catch a running back kind of like from behind, if you will, or, or he gets to the quarterback relatively fast, too. So that instantly stood out to me. And like I said, the athleticism, like it's, you know, he, of course, it's not perfect or this, that and the other. It's not on the level of Ken Law, per se, uh, but like for a what 320 pound man at 6'4 like he's kind of more agile than you would give a guy that size credit for and again like just going back to the explosion I had pulled up some numbers and this kind of tells you like how explosive he is this is proof of it um they say that on nfl.com that 31.8 percent of his tackles were for loss in his career so he had 20 in his career and 9.5 of those tackles came in 2019. So this is a guy that lived in the backfield, which I basically said 
uh, when I was talking about like him getting to the quarterbacks at times and getting to the running backs, especially. Uh, and then he had 18 tackles on the season for last season in 2019, six sacks, you know, six sacks. That's kind of a lot of sacks for a guy that you would kind of view as a quote unquote nose tackle. So that kind of tells you and that kind of shows you the agility and kind of like the versatility that he offers for a man his size. I really, really like this pick. I actually gave this pick an A um, in my mind. I was going to do a report card for the Jaguars, but I never got to it on Jags Wire. But I gave this pick an A when they made it. And he's a guy, kudos for them for realizing that he was a sleeper in this draft, that he was rising fast. And he probably wasn't going to be around in the fourth round or what have you. Um, That's where like a lot of people uh, slotted him in terms of the draft gurus. But kudos to the Jacksonville Jaguars for realizing that. And I think like this is going to be a pick we look back at. And while he won't be like this super productive guy because he's going to be playing nose tackle and defensive tackle, he'll be a guy that does all the dirty work and free up everybody else around him, whether that's Kalevon, uh, Josh Allen, if Yannick and Gakwe come back, comes back, whoever. But this is the guy that's going to take all of the dirty work for them and allow them to do what they do on the outside. And Dave Caldwell was asked about Hamilton's production. He said his production per snap was really good. Like Coach Marone said, since we lost Marcel with his injury, we have been missing a big body. That's why we got Al Woods. Now we have a young version of Al, 6'4", 320. He's a guy that can hold the point of attack. We will have a nice rotation with those guys, Devon, Avery, Taven. We wanted to get bigger up front and protect our linebackers and Joe and Miles. Now we have Calevon uh, Chase on. We feel good about the front seven. That was an area we wanted to improve, and plus we got the corner on day one. He was then asked if there would be more of a 3-4 defense next year, which we talked about, Jay, last week. Yes, I think for sure on a base downs, you will see more of our uh, you will see more of our Sam linebacker on the ball. So, of course, this, this selection really kind of opened everybody's eyes as far as the way the team was going to go defensively. Jay, we talked about that last week. It seems like Devon's pretty uh, excited uh, to uh, to come here to Jacksonville. He asked. He was asked if he feels like he's a fit on the defense. He's, I feel like I'll fit in well here. I mean, I feel like I finally joined a team, and I'm really blessed to be there. Really, there is nothing else I can really say. Uh, when he when he said he, he he was asked if he was surprised about landing here, he said I really didn't know, but I'm just blessed to be here. So it just sounds like a guy that's really excited and uh, um, thankful for the opportunity, which you really, of course like to see out of these draft prospects. You know, they've been chasing this dream for a very, very long time. Uh, again, I admittedly was not too familiar with him heading into the draft, um, but the selection as far as which uh, where they went position-wise didn't really surprise me whatsoever. So really, really excited for these two picks. It just seems like they went with guys, Jay, that are just going to be really, really physical and address really, really important needs that this team needed to go with in, in the draft. So we, we said this, I think, off the air. I mean, they we were pretty much expecting them to move around and make a lot of trades, and there were none. They took they used all 12 draft picks, which is just wild, you know what I mean? And it's not really too surprising, I think, as you said, when you have a team that's just trying to rebuild itself from the inside out. So we'll, uh, we'll of course... Keep keep an eye on what happens with with Hamilton next, but between him and Chenault, really really happy with where they went in rounds two and three. Yeah, I agree, especially from the standpoint of which we're saying um, from the physical standpoint. When you look at these guys. 
they have these crazy physical attributes that stand out to you. And I think that was a trend, athleticism and, and the, the physical uh, nature that they bring. Again, Hamilton was a guy that caught my eyes because of what he did at the Combine. Uh, Chenault is a guy that played multiple positions. And, you know, like he's just a guy that on, on tape, you know, the physical presence is there and the athleticism is there as well. And then, you know, going back to the guys from day one, of course, Henderson and Kalevon, two of the guys that, you know, put up very good numbers in the combine as well. And, you know, the tape speaks for itself, especially uh, for Kalevon, Chason, who is a guy that, you know, we said, you know, we saw him covering at times. We saw him with his hand in the dirt. We saw him in two points. So, yeah, I think that was a theme here. And even like we'll talk about the guys in the future as well. Barch. Barch is a guy that, you know, went out and caught passes at his size. You know what I'm saying? They, they showed it on the um the highlights when he was selected. So he was a guy they kind of used as a tight end and a guy that, you know, again, that, you know, when you hear the male Kuypers of the world and everybody talk about him, it's the athleticism that they brag about with him. So, yeah, I think that was a trend here. I like it. And I think definitely in the end, you know, we may not necessarily see it in the record this year, but when you combine what this class offers in terms of the, the athleticism that they bring in and you add that with the class from last year as well, which was pretty productive. People forget that, you know, the Jaguars could maybe have a better season than we're expecting, but even if they don't, the future is looking bright between those two classes in itself. Absolutely. And Jay, you and I have again also talked about this off the air. The the floor for this the floor for this team might be pretty low, but the ceiling could could surprise a lot of people. You know, I, we've talked about anywhere, and, and of course, you know, this is something we'll talk about when we get a little bit closer to the season. But this is a team that win as low as like two to three games. But also win as many as eight to nine and surprise a lot of people. So we'll see what happens. And, and like you said, I think we're going to see the these picks come to fruition, go, uh, you know, for a very, very, very long time to come. And that includes the picks that they made on day three, which, again, we'll get to in a future episode. So uh, that's uh, as far as what we wanted to cover for the second and third round picks. We want to move on to something here that's a, a little interesting, Jay, that that came out from CBS Sports. Now, one of the surprise picks from the first round specifically was the Green Bay Packers trading up to go acquire Utah State quarterback Jordan Love. Now, Jay, Love is a guy that we talked about a lot heading into the draft because he started to get mocked to us quite a bit uh, later on in the process, I would say, heading up to the final few weeks of the NFL draft. But he ended up falling into the 20s to Green Bay. Now, this is interesting, of course, because, you know, Aaron Rodgers isn't necessarily necessarily in his prime anymore, but he's still a very, very good quarterback. And when you talk about a team who, one, was in the NFC Championship last year, and, and two, a team that has not taken a skill position player in many, many years. I forgot what the exact statistic was, but Jay, talk a little bit about this report that came out from CBS where it has listed the Jaguars as a fit for Aaron Rodgers if he is going to be moved in 2021. So in this scenario, the Packers have identified Jordan Love as their future, of course, and they're ready to go with him next year. So talk a little bit about this report, Jay, and do you think this would actually be a realistic fit? Well, first, I'll say this, like, and I think you would agree with me on this, like, we're very doubtful that this would happen. And, you know, this is just kind of, uh, I forgot who wrote it, but, you know, this is just kind of them just throwing out some, you know, scenarios uh, in the future 
uh, if Aaron Rodgers were to be traded. And and look, like he's on to something in a sense that you don't draft a first round quarterback and don't have a plan to utilize that quarterback in the near future. So we're looking at at least, you know, maybe next year, um, you know, this year, I would think Aaron Rodgers is definitely going to take the field, but maybe next year or the year before that or whatever the case may be. Uh, but you and you especially don't trade up to take a quarterback and don't have plans for him as well. Like I, I know a lot of people use this whole idea and it's it's a something that I've actually expressed myself and it's a good idea. Uh, you know, sometimes you could draft you a young quarterback if you have a veteran and if both of them are playing very well, you can always, you know, trade one off for a first round pick. But, you know, if you're the Green Bay Packers, who are you going to trade off? Are you going to trade off the young 25, 24, 23 year old? Or are you going to trade off Aaron Rodgers, who is nearing the age of 40? You're probably going to trade off Aaron Rodgers. So that being said, uh, this article is on to something. And basically they slotted the Jags. They did 17th and all. Uh, and they named Jags as one, the Jags as one of the scenarios of the seven. And we were the very last, by the way. So we weren't atop the list or anything like that. But uh, they came in at seventh um, for many, many reasons as a, a area or a team that Aaron Rodgers could be traded to. And from what I took away from it, and I've read it several times, basically, and I mean, look, they, again, they're on to something, even though I think this is very, very unlikely, but they are on to some things that bring up some key points that me and Phil have stressed in this podcast before, uh, but not necessarily concerning Aaron Rodgers, but we've brought this up before. The Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be sent on a lot of cap next year. We're talking about, according to over the cap, we're looking at maybe around the 100 million range somewhere. And I think they will be like third or fourth in terms of salary cap next year. And it's because they got rid of these guys like Nick Foles and A.J. Boyer and Calais Campbell. So there's that. So the Jaguars could inherit Aaron Rodgers' huge salary, which is like $30 million along the lines of that or something like that. Um, they also brought up the fact that Aaron Rodgers has a um, has ties to the coaching staff with Ben McAdoo, who was his quarterback's coach. Something that I've also mentioned on the Jaguars wire when we got Ben McAdoo. Aaron Rodgers has praised him before in the past, and he praised him when, you know, he went to the Giants to be their head coach. But he really, really seems to like Ben McAdoo. So that's a connection right there in itself as well. And then the other key, I guess you could say the other key factor that they brought up was the draft compensation. As we all know, the Jacksonville Jaguars have two first round picks, and I think they have like nine or something, nine or eight, somewhere in that range. But they have eight draft picks or nine draft picks next year, which also makes them, you know, a team dangerous in terms of if they need to give somebody some compensation. In this case, the Packers for Aaron Rodgers, they can trade two first round picks or a first and a second or whatever, you know, the Packers may want. And, um, you know, they can insert him into the roster. Now, we don't know, like, how good the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be in terms of what will be around Aaron Rodgers if they even remotely thought of something like this but you know that's too far out to tell but it was an interesting article and it did hit some good points in terms of when when you look at the Jags future and what they have and how they could be a fit for Aaron Rodgers and a lot of those things like I certainly can agree you know makes sense in terms of getting Aaron Rodgers via trade if they could but again I'm un, I'm doubtful on it I know a lot of people will say <laughs> one of the things that actually came up was, hey, why would Aaron Rodgers want to come to a place like Jacksonville, a small market like Jacksonville? Well, Green Bay is a small market as well. So that's another, you know, 
thing in the case of bringing in Aaron Rodgers. So there are these little elements that could suggest that the Jacksonville Jaguars could be a player in the Aaron Rodgers trade if it were to happen. So while you were talking, Jay, I, I mapped out this wild scenario in my head, right? I, I, I am in the camp of not believing that this would ever happen. However, we just talked about how the roster is, is probably better than people are giving it credit for. What if this team goes somewhere between 6 and 10 or 8 and 8, something like that, even 5 and 11, okay? We'll, we'll throw that out there too but is also competitive throughout the entire year. And if you look at the Jaguars schedule, they have an opportunity to make a statement against some really, really good teams, including the Green Bay Packers, but also including the Baltimore Ravens, teams like the Cleveland Browns, you know, teams that, that are that are really solid. What if, the, you know, they have a, a, a above average year, they go into next year and, and they've identified a guy like a Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. And, and you and I have agreed that they – I don't think they're going to be bad enough to have the number one overall pick. I don't think that's going to happen, but also a team might fall into that spot, you know, like the team that took Joe Burrow this year, they might be bad again, you know, or another team that has a a young quarterback that took a young quarterback here this year. I, I think some of the players at the top of this year's draft are still going to be around next year. We may find ourselves in a position to take maybe not necessarily Trevor Lawrence, but maybe a guy like Justin Fields around pick again, like five or six, where we seem to be drafting every single year. We never seem to get in that top two or three. But you you bring in a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who is at the tail end of his career, who is going to be very, very upset, you know, of course, that he's been shipped off or that they've moved on before he feels like he is ready to go. You bring in a guy like Aaron Rodgers to a team that just went six and ten, that was also very competitive, and now has guys like DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, and DD Westbrook along with, you know, hopefully some, uh, hopefully a new, you know, young running back that we expect them to bring in maybe next year. And then all of a sudden you have Aaron Rodgers paired up with, and you bring in, you know, because I, I, I kind of believe that Doug Marone might be a lame duck coach this year. I feel like maybe they're ready to move on with him. Now, that being said, Dave Caldwell, as we mentioned before, has been very, very loyal, loyal to Doug Marone. But say they move on next year, you know what I mean? And you bring in Aaron Rodgers and and this coach that he gets to maybe hand select. That's a pretty quick turnaround. You know what I mean? We've we've talked about this already. There is an opportunity for a quick turnaround. Now, my question posed to you is Aaron Rodgers. It's no secret that he has been a little difficult to get along with from multiple, multiple reports. Do you have any kind any hesitations bringing in a guy like that when you're just now trying to clean up the locker room, not to say that he's been, you know, a locker room cancer or anything like that, or tried to divert attention away from the team onto himself, but he has been known to be a little difficult to get along with. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's part of the, whether they say it or not, that's part of the reason why the Packers brought in Jordan Love is to make an example of him. It's like probably Matt LaFleur and company are like, look, you know, if you want to undermine us or whatever the case may be, you know, whatever friction there is between the coaching staff, look, we can move on from you later down the road. Just know that that's what this move is partly about. And yeah, that does concern me. And that's one of the things that, you know, that's one of the reasons if you want to make a case that this miracle could happen for Jacksonville, that's one of the cases that I would make against getting Aaron Rodgers. Uh, so again, I, I think in that case, you would have to probably depend on his likingness of uh, being McAdoo 
And, you know, who knows, you know, maybe Gruden gets a gig somewhere in terms of a head coaching gig. And then, you know, you have to upgrade McAdoo to being the head coach or not the head coach necessarily, but, uh, you know, the offensive coordinator or whatever the case may be. You know, that would be probably a favorable position based off of what Aaron Rodgers has said about Ben McAdoo. That would be a favorable position for him to come into here with a coach that he really liked, a quarterback coach at that, a positions coach that he liked that is now the offensive coordinator. Uh, so and maybe that would help, you know, reduce the friction as well. But, yeah, that's a very, very, very uh, big concern of mine. Like if this were even to remotely happen or had a chance to happen, that's my biggest concern, because you look at like all of these reports, man. And at some point, it's like, is it necessarily the coaches or is it Aaron Rodgers? And to me, like, you know, it's just alarming of the reports that have come out of there. So, you know, I know players have come out to support him and, and this, that, and the other, but still, you know, that is a concern of mine. And another thing you have to ask yourself is if you're the Jaguars, you know, you could be in a situation, like you said, seven and seven or five and 11 or something like that, where you're not necessarily in the front of the draft order. You could ask yourself if this were to happen, if they put Aaron Rodgers on the trade market, do I want to spend my two draft picks or my two first round picks or two early round picks or three or however much it would cost to give to Green Bay for Aaron Rodgers, who is, you know, 37, 36 years old? Or would I rather use that to trade up to the number one spot and get a Trevor Lawrence who can and, be around? Yeah. And remember, they may be about to get another first round pick if they unload Yon. Yeah, well, I think that's now that's unlikely with the draft over. But I mean, yeah, it's still a, a possibility, I guess, you know, but we'll see. But I, I doubt they could get that pick for Young at this point. I'm thinking if they get anything, it'll be a next year's second round pick or something along those lines of that. Uh, but yeah, like I was saying, you could you could just ask yourself uh, in this scenario, you know, like if you're the Jaguars, do I want to give up my draft compensation to move up in the draft or do I want to do it for this 36 year old uh, veteran quarterback, albeit he's a Hall of Famer? You know, and, you know, maybe the Jaguars would go in the direction of going young because, I mean, that's been a trend anyway. Uh, but, like, it's so many moving pieces you got to put into this, you know, equation before we can even kind of, like, even think of or fathom something this crazy because we don't even know, like, who's going to be around next year in terms of this coaching staff. But, you know, it was just something to think of. It was an article that, you know, just makes you look into the future and wonder and, you know, like we, we've we done this in the past, like have segments where we'll pull up an article and speak on it because they did get a lot of attention on the social media realm. Yeah. What can we say, guys? It's the off season and we need content. So that's why we brought it up. So, I, again, <laughs> I, I don't think it is the most likely thing to happen. I do believe that we will see Aaron Rodgers on another team before it's all said and done. And I think it's going to be sooner rather than later now. I have been pretty vocal, especially on social media, about Jordan Love. Now, maybe he ended up in the right position in the, at the right place, but I I just don't see it as far as him. His film, I, I mean, I, it was all over the place, Jay, and I, I know you probably watched a lot of it too. There's definitely potential there, but when it comes down to it, I mean, I'm not sure if I brought it up on the podcast, but I think it was Desmond Howard who brought it up on ESPN, compared him to Akili Smith. <laughs> and that's just not the comparison you want for your franchise quarterback. So we'll see what happens uh, as far as all that. But again, just a hey, fun bro. topic to discuss. 
And one more thing, man, like, yeah, like you said, as unlikely as it is, who who in this who on this beautiful green earth, blue, green and white earth thought Tom Brady would be playing for the Bucks right now for the Glazers who people have traditionally not 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 us necessarily, but just the the community, the football community has traditionally slammed for how they've ran the organization. You know what I'm saying? And, it, you know, like it's kind of getting that way f- with Shad Khan. And the Jacksonville Jaguars. But yeah, like if you would have asked me if Tom Brady would be playing for the Bucks. Now, while I would have said I think he could play for another team this year, I never would have in my wildest dreams would have said the Bucks. So that's why, you know, something like this is worth writing about in the case of CBS Sports. And in the case for us, that's why it's something worth mentioning, because the NFL is such a crazy league that just things like just happen out of the blue. And that's what makes this sport so fun, by the way. It's like things just happen out of the blue that you never would have thought would have happened in your wildest dreams. This is true. This is true. Uh, Tom Brady just proved, hey, people want to come down to Florida. And, you know, while we would normally suggest you go a little further south, why not just make it right across the border? You know what I'm saying? So come on, Aaron. Let's make this thing happen and let's get weird with it and just have fun with it. But that'll do it for this episode, you guys. We have one more day to cover, which, of course, will be day three, rounds four through seven, where there are, uh, again, some really, really quality picks that they fit in there. So, Jay, we're going to wrap it up here. Before we do, let everybody know what they have to look forward to as far as on the wire and right here in the podcast, of course. Yeah, I'm just going to keep evaluating our um, our draft picks, you know, and, and putting out quotes and, and takeaways from, uh, you know, their their draft selections and just the outlook on them in general. That's probably what I'm going to be focused on, focusing on uh, more so in terms of the wire. Of course, here uh, with the Believe in Jazz podcast, we'll be having guests on and reaching out to different people uh, from different podcasts, even within our own, you know, Believe podcast network like we did with Tony Pauline. So be on the lookout for that. We'll probably be announcing, you know, who we reach out to and who's going to be our guest in the future on Twitter, which we've been very active on. Believe in Jags pod. I think it is is where you can find us on Twitter. So, yeah, man, tons and tons of stuff coming up. Uh, Can't wait to put out more content and can't wait to put out more episodes. That's right, folks. And as I mentioned there in the very beginning, if you want to support the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five star review along with some comments. We always love reading those. Make sure you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary and tune in. And of course, you can check us out at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. I'm Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. That's James Johnson. You can find at SportsGrind underscore Don. This has been the Believe in the Jaguars podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. We certainly believe. Do you? We'll see you next time, guys.